Welcome to the High on Life podcast, where it's all about empowering you with the medicine and the mindset to healthfully lose weight and thrive beyond the scale. I'm your host, Dr. Sasha High. This podcast contains general educational information on weight loss and beyond. Remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. So be sure to seek medical support from a qualified health professional. Welcome back to the High on Life podcast. I'm really happy about this episode with Dr. Tina McInnes. We are talking all about exercise and the importance of exercise and how she describes it is exercise is a non-negotiable. And I totally love all of her messaging. You can find her online. Her social media is at Coach McInnes. I really encourage you to follow her because she just gives it to you straight. And sometimes her messages really cut to the core, but they're packed with truth. So I loved our conversation. Dr. Katina McInnes is a retired specialist of internal medicine, which is the same specialty as I trained in. And she now works as a health coach, as well as a strength and conditioning coach and has certifications in nutrition as well. And she has devoted her life's work to disease prevention through lifestyle modification, in particular, the critical and non-negotiable importance of regular physical activity. Today, she's going to share her views on the power of regular exercise in the pursuit of better health and sustainable weight loss, as well as her best advice for incorporating more physical activity into your daily life. So on this episode of the podcast, she talks about practical strategies and also some of the ways we need to reframe our mindset around movement and the importance of movement. I hope you really enjoy this and take it to heart. All right. Well, Dr. Tina McInnes, I'm so happy to have you on the podcast today. So thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. So why don't we start? Can you just share a little bit about your background and how you arrived at being a health coach? Sure. So I actually went through uh, medical school at University of Toronto. I then studied internal medicine in Toronto. I practiced there for a short time. And prior to having three kids who are now 13, 16 and 17 years old. So it's been a while. We left Toronto when they were very young and moved to Ottawa. And it was during the transition time and when they were babies and I sort of had a disconnect in my career moving centers, you know, I actually suffered a postpartum depression and anxiety. And I'm very open about sharing that experience with my clients and followers, because I think it's an important part of, you know, what happens and how you can rebuild yourself, which is essentially what I had to do. And in that rebuilding, I had to focus the lens of of care on myself, not my patients, right? Mm -hmm. If I couldn't be healthy, I couldn't be a mom and I could certainly not be an effective physician. So it took some time and I focused that time on on myself. And uh, when it came time to go back to work, I realized that I didn't want to go back to doing the thing that I did before, which was to give people a lot of medication for what was largely preventable disease. And so I started focusing my attention on the effects of exercise on health, good nutrition on health. And so it became my new job. Yeah, And I've never looked back. Yeah, that's awesome. I I think, you know, we were just chatting before the interview, but you and I have some similarities in the path that we took to get to where we are in that we both trained at U of T. We both 
became internists. And then we both had some degree of dissatisfaction with what we were doing as internists, which was exactly as you described it, prescribing so many medications for things that were preventable. So I completely connect with you on that and just like not wanting that to be the full story. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So awesome. So you transitioned, like, how did you decide health coach? How did that come about? It wasn't a deliberate choice. It sort of happened. I can't tell you that it was a plan at any time. It started with the fitness part, helping people become more active through understanding how to program fitness classes and then becoming a strength coach, understanding all about how the the body adapts to weight training and aerobic training endurance training, all this stuff, you know, reading and studying and then coaching people in this, but realizing that they didn't necessarily adhere. So they'd come to me and ask for a program and a couple months would go by and they'd go back to what they were doing before, which was not very much. And then I thought, well, maybe if I integrated nutrition advice, if I knew a lot more about nutrition, that would help. So then I became mm-hmm. a nutrition coach and I would give people meal plans and that would work for a short period of time, just like the exercise program I gave. And then it wouldn't work anymore. And then I started thinking there's something else. Mm-hmm. It's not about more instructions. Yep. And the more I spoke to people and the more I listened to them, the more I got to understand their lives and how they structured their lives the more I began to realize that it was going to take something far different to impact people's health, to change them long-term, that it was going to take a lot of the mindset piece, right? Yeah. Reconceiving of what one's goals really are, reconceiving of how one organizes their time on a day-to-day basis to reflect their life priorities understanding how people set boundaries on their own time within family circles, within the structures of their work and other commitments. And unless I really helped them understand where nutrition practices and exercise habits fit into this big picture, I wasn't going to be able to help them long-term. Yeah. Yeah. I'm so and glad so, you went there like yeah. right away, just in terms of people don't need more knowledge and more instruction, right? The meal plans, these are the diet rules, just follow this exercise routine. It's like, that is never the issue. It's always, what are the barriers to implementation and how do we break those down and how do we problem solve that with our clients? So I love precisely, that Yeah, precisely. Yeah. So now I call myself a health coach because... Often people will approach me and say, well, I want to lose the weight and I think an exercise program is the answer. Maybe you can also give me some nutrition advice. And I'll say, maybe, but I want you to consider a different approach. And then they'll get to work with me for a period of time and realize a lot of what we talk about has nothing to do with the exercises themselves Mm -hmm. or the food itself. It's about the machinery of getting things done in a different way. Yeah. And they're often very surprised and we uncover amazing things. And these hurdles then open up a world of possibilities to these, these people. And, but it takes a different approach, I think. And that's what I admire so much about what you're doing. I've followed you for some time. I love the messaging 
And uh, I couldn't agree more with that kind of approach, right? Yeah, yeah. I think you and I are so aligned in that. That's why. Mm-hmm. That's why we we connected. How do you let's 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 just take a step back. So, how would you help a client? Because I, I know so many people are like, yes, of course, health is important to me. Like intellectually, they can understand. Like, yes, that's important. Or even it, it goes. It's like so much bigger than that. It's like mm-hmm. yes, intellectually, I would say that my values are health. My values are my kids. My values are family. And yet how we're spending our time totally doesn't align with what we say is important, right? And that, that that's the values gap that I talk about that causes so much dissatisfaction. So, you know, for the person who's like, oh yeah, yeah, no, health is important. Exercise is important, but then all their time is spent working and they just feel, really feel like, but I can't, like, this is my job. Like, this is my career. This is so important. How, how would you help them break that down? That's a great question. And it's a tough one because doing things a certain way over time reinforces itself so strongly in the kind of person you are. It it reinforces your beliefs about yourself and your identity. Mm-hmm. And we talk a lot about that, my clients and I, right? So it's um it's difficult to break those things down, but you have to start to challenge them. So we sit down and we'll talk about why, for example, on a regular basis, does work bleed into time that you would have otherwise spent with family or with your on your own self-care. And then you have to sort of say, well, I couldn't say no to you have to break down individual instances and put your own behavior under a microscope, which is really uncomfortable and people often don't want to do it. And that's how come working with a coach can be very helpful because it sort of stops you in your tracks and it sets time aside to do that kind of almost like an after action review, so to speak, you know, like a, hey, so what typically are the narratives that go into a day spent working too much? Am I behind? Did I fail to plan ahead? Did I, you know, sometimes it's procrastination and then work piles up and then you are in a situation that you can't control, but you have to look 10 steps backwards before you, you you can't look at a day-to-day thing. You sometimes have to look at how you generally manage projects in your life. If there are things that, for example, pop into your life, are you good at saying, well, not now and putting it aside if it's possible? And sometimes that's where people really have a hard time. And we have to talk about why they don't want to say no or put that aside and say, go out for that walk that they said that they would do. It's interesting to me that people feel the obligation to provide an explanation when none is often needed. This is my time. You don't need to know why I'm not available to you is an important concept that I cover with people. And they're shocked. They're used to saying no to their boss or because of something they consider to be acceptable. If it's something like exercising or spending time with their mental health or with their family, they wouldn't think that that would be okay. And so they won't do it because they feel the need to share. But suddenly I'll say, maybe you don't need to provide an explanation. You simply provide your availability. So, I mean, I I think I haven't given a neat and tidy response to your question because there isn't one. I think a lot of times it really comes down to, you know, how and why are you managing your time the way you are and what sort of dialogue is happening in your brain on a day-to-day basis that permits this pattern to continue. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think you, you've outlined so many of the challenges really well. And I think part of our challenge as coaches is helping people arrive at the place where they realize that it's the bigger issues that need to be tackled, right? Like I was just speaking to a, a new client yesterday and it was apparent to me that what she thought she needed from me was like some sort of meal plan and some sort of instructions, right? That's what people kind of come for in order to lose weight. When what she really needed was to figure out why she was like working 16 hours a day, every single day and like not prioritizing herself and then smoking pot at night because she needed that to de-stress. And then that would bring on the munchies. Like there was just so much more to unpack. Right. And, and like, we have to get to those core issues and it's, and you're right. It's way more difficult. It's way more uncomfortable. It really requires you going deeper and evaluating your life. But the outcomes of it, if you're willing to, is like, this is how you transform your life. It's right? true. It's true. Yeah. And the more you coach people, and I think that's that's the reality of it, right? So the the more you coach people and real people and, and really get into that stuff, the more you recognize that that's, those are the barriers. And I think that's the, the struggle we have is getting that unsexy message out there yes, and competing exactly. with, you know, the flash in the pan kind of, I'll get you these results in 12 weeks because that's the impatience factor. And I speak about that a lot with people. I'm thinking, folks, let's look beyond the three-month outcomes of what we're doing for once. And it's very, very difficult because that's the other challenge. Not only is it difficult to develop that acute self-awareness, that deep level of understanding oneself and values and how I've come to live my life and perhaps I'm hiding a little bit in some excuses. Perhaps the overworker is actually mm -hmm. comfortable there on some level, right? Yeah. And that's uncomfortable, but it's also uncomfortable to slow down. And I think that's the other thing that it's a main message for folks. It's, mm -hmm. it's just try not to get tripped up in short-term thinking. What's yeah. going to move the needle? And I'm not talking the one on the scale. I'm talking big, big cogs in this health wheel because your weight is only one small part of a humongous picture. You can have very healthy people whose weight hasn't changed, but they vastly improve their long-term health indices of health. Because they become significantly more active. They become people who are better rested. You, we know this. And so sometimes people get caught on the wrong things and they're looking at the wrong metrics and it's like micromanaging. And so it's, and then they get caught in running down rabbit holes on social media or, you know, and it's, I feel badly for, but it's hard to compete with the, the messaging there because the promise of fast results is too sparkly. Yeah. 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 <laughs> totally agree with that. I think there's, I think there's two sides. There's like the diet culture messaging, which is you can get fast results. I can promise you your beach body by summer, just follow these rules and you've got it right. Which we all know doesn't work because it's so short term, but then there's also like the whole societal messaging. And this is something I've been reflecting on a lot more recently of we're, we just live in a hustle culture, right. Yeah. And it's about competing with your neighbor and like, you know, you like, it's like buying the bigger house, buying the nicer car, the bigger, the, the, the nicer purse. Like it's, it's, there's this sense of like hustle culture that is very career focused, very staying busy, very productivity oriented and doesn't value rest and doesn't value. We don't value stay at home moms, right? Like it doesn't value the family unit. And so I think that whole kind of mentality also breeds a bunch of people who are not healthy. 
Absolutely. And I think I, I really loved some of the messaging you put out recently on the topic of going it alone and how challenging that can be because yeah. you're, you're going against the grain. Yes. You're essentially becoming this oddity. And I can tell you how much of an oddity I am in my circles. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You always go to bed and you always get up in the morning and do these silly workouts. Like on the weekend, don't you know how to relax? Well, it's hard to explain to somebody else what it's like to live in my my body, in my mind. Those things are the very things that I live for. Mm -hmm. They're not a job anymore. They're not. And but if if you you know, no one understands that people understand attending to the chores of the day, getting to work. And my house, honestly, Sasha, is a mess. <laughs> and I will happily leave it in that condition in order to get in a jog or a weight training session, because every moment that presents itself where I say, and this is something very, a tool that I often use with my own clients. When faced with a decision of whether to get out the door and do that exercise uh, session, or even just a walk, whatever it is that you've decided you're going to do versus the competing item, responding to these emails, just getting that call done, whatever it is that you're saying might be the thing you're going to do. You're basically, you almost have to say to yourself, call yourself out in that moment and say, calling the garage about my tire change is more important than my health. Mm -hmm. oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Okay. Getting the laundry done and cleaning the floor is far more important to me than looking after my physical body and making myself feel better. Yeah. And when you, when you start to say these things out loud to yourself, it's really a stark reminder of how misplaced the priority is. The laundry will always be there. The emails will be there. And unless answering that email is somehow impacting someone's survival, I mean, <laughs> once you've worked in life and death situations as we have, Sasha, we kind of understand what life and death looks like. There are very few things that require me to halt and re redirect my attention because something imminent is going to go horribly wrong. And yet somehow people have this sense that these priorities, quote unquote, you know, responding to emails from colleagues at work or writing up that thing. I mean, it's it's okay. It's really fine. But what's not okay is to continually think that maybe there'll be a better time to exercise. Yeah. Let's talk about that because I think for some people, they, I don't think anyone imagines their retirement unhealthy. Like I think in their head, they imagine themselves traveling. They imagine themselves like enjoying life, right? Finally enjoying. And yet we've seen at the hospital, right? Like as an internist, our patient population at the hospital is, you know, 75 average age, somewhere in there, right? Yep. And so we've seen what happens when we neglect health. And this is the part that I really appreciate in your messaging is that you don't mis mince your words. Like you're pretty straight up about with your messaging. And sometimes <laughs> it's a little bit like, Ooh, it stings a bit, but it needs to be said, right? The truth, we have to be honest. We have to be honest. Like otherwise we're, we're doing a disservice because Correct. there are thousands, millions of people who are not making their health a priority. And then we see the outcomes, right? Like that's, that's what we see filling the hospitals. 
And that's the part that I think you and I are really united in like, hey, we want we want to make change. We want to help people prevent that for themselves. So let's let's just talk about like for the person who exercises sort of a bad word or it's like scary to venture into, maybe they don't mm-hmm. know how to start. Like, how do you get people there to the point where they actually want to be doing it? Right. So at the beginning. So let's just just let's just break this down. I love what you said about retirement because you know how people will put money towards their retirement? Yeah. They're not going to have their health to enjoy that. So it's important then to I think develop the mindset that's necessary first of all. Because for a lot of people who are not regularly active, becoming more active is unsavory. Mm-hmm. To put it mildly. <laughs> They'll actually say I don't like it. Yeah, And so a lot of the messaging around find something fun isn't going to work for these people. Some For some people, it works. You know, what do you love to do? Do more of it. But then there are other people who say, I literally do not enjoy any type of physical exertion. So what do you do? It's a long road to becoming a lover of exercise for those people. So I'm not going to try and dress that one up. The reality is, you kind of have to put on your adult pants here and say, okay, how am I going to strategize? You know, how am I going to put in place strategies to make this happen in my life? Because it's important. It may not be something I love to do or even like to do, at least not for a long time, but I'm going to implement steps to make sure it happens. And it's my hope that eventually people then connect the way they've transformed their lives through movement and exercise, because eventually you do connect the dots. You have to do it consistently enough for long enough to be able to link back how much your sleep has improved, how much your mood is better, how much your stress coping mechanisms have improved, how much your appetite regulation is better. And I'm, I mean, people who exercise regularly generally reach for healthier foods. This sort of the multitude of the the spillover effects on every dimension of health from regular exercise is something you have to experience to believe. So I can sit here telling you, I can tell you it's really good for you. You know, it'll save your life, literally save your life long-term. It will transform the type of retirement you are able to enjoy. But in the short term, what you're looking for is creating enough so-called repetitions the experience repeats itself frequently enough that you begin to connect the dots. You see the way a habit is formed. I read a lot on James Clear's work, a lot of James Clear's work, Atomic Habits, and he'll talk about cue, response, reward. It's almost like that, but the habit loop in this instance is very long. The time horizon is long. So the reinforcement is slow. Things that reinforce themselves very quickly are habit forming in a very rapid sense. We know this from eating ice cream tastes good. I feel good right away. I want to do this. It's a very intense habit that forms quickly. On the other hand, regular exercise is not. You don't see the benefits until you do it enough. So for those people, I say this, develop a habit as a matter of your job. You have to treat it like your job. You wouldn't, for example, consider not going to work because you didn't feel like it. Think about all the things you say in relation to doing some form of exercise and then put it 
again, it's reframing that the narrative, the dialogue that goes on in your mind. Well, I didn't have the time today. Would you say that about your job or about parenting? No, those are two unnegotiable things, non-negotiable things. I didn't have time. I ran out of time. Is that what you would say about your job? No. So for those people, the first step is understanding that it's a non-negotiable part of your day to integrate a habit of movement. Now, if that seems harsh, it's possibly because people are extrapolating to mean to understand that I want them to suddenly become a runner or do something really intense. That is not at all the intention. In fact, the best way to make it a habit is to make it really small and easy. So for the beginner, if it can't be fun, it has to be really easy. So don't talk about the first plan being getting in your car, driving to a new class that you don't need to pre-register for and hope that that's going to work out for you. There's too many steps involved that's not easy enough. It takes too much time. And that so you have to just put on some shoes and walk to, to start. And if that becomes something that suddenly is a daily habit that you can relate to feeling better about, then from there you grow. So create, if it cannot be fun, it must be easy. And if it can't be easy, you have to make it inescapable. That's what I say next. And by that, I mean, folks, create some sort of in accountability that mm -hmm. you can't escape from. Mm -hmm. Your friend and in, in yourself, your coach and yourself, your, your class that you are registered for and paid for, something else that makes it inescapable. Mm -hmm. That's so good. So if, if it can't be fun, make it easy. If it's not easy, make it inescapable. So good. <laughs> I think that is the hierarchy. And I think you have to place yourself into one of those slots. Already enjoys things. Great. Do more of it. That's the fun part. Nothing is fun. I hate everything. Make it a super simple, easy habit. If even that is not possible, you need someone to hold your hand so to speak. And you have to make it some pact that you just can't get out of. And yeah. that'll get you, that'll achieve liftoff at least until maybe after three months. And that's the kind of time horizon we're talking about. A regular thing for three months time. And then you'll start to say, wow, what has changed in this time? How do I feel differently? And hopefully that'll get you in a different category. It'll suddenly mm -hmm. become okay. I've got momentum. Just keep it going. And that's the other thing, right? James Clear talks about momentum. Don't break the chain. Never miss twice. Right? Yeah. And I mean, yeah. I could go on here, Sasha, because I think the reality is that to make that happen, you have to be super flexible too. So it's not rigid thinking right. that we have here. It's yeah, really perfectionistic thinking. Right. Yes. It's not like, okay, I miss my, I can't get to that exercise class that well, okay. So I talk about placeholder habits in the, in the, maybe you cannot do that today, but what can be a facsimile of, of that version of self-care through movement for mm -hmm. today? Mm -hmm. What is going to take, you know, the place of that thing? It could be some small thing. I'm going to walk up and down the stairs of my home yeah. a couple of times, simply just not to break that chain. I'm yeah. still active. I'm still in the game. I'm still with it. You pick yeah. up again tomorrow. So good. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's, 
it's so good because it's the focus on consistency over perfection. And I think those two things are very much in conflict. When you think you have to be perfect, that destroys your consistency. And then I would say, at least for my population, really disconnecting exercise from having to see the scale move in order to validate what you're doing. Right. Because that is, that destroys, like when you're expecting the scale to like Mm -hmm. give you that positive feedback, it's like the number one thing that destroys it for people. Right. Like I tell people to separate it all the time. I don't know if that's the same as, as you, but just like separate exercise from weight loss. Yeah. Because many, uh, we've already discussed many of the benefits of exercise are independent Mm -hmm. of the weight. So you can have zero change on the scale and still have tremendous improvements in your short and long-term indices of health. Yes. And some people out there are probably going to listen and say, but that's not my interest. I really I know. Really, I was right? Just you know, exactly. right? Yeah. Like just I, but really, I just really want my body to just really want to lose weight. Yeah. Right. Exactly. And yeah. to them, I say, you know what? Long-term, because if, if you're interested in anything longer term, we know that people who move regularly and have an active lifestyle are far, far, far more likely to maintain a healthy body weight than people who only focus on nutritional interventions. Mm-hmm. I see it all around me. I see, you don't, you know, you see older people, 60s, 70s, all these people who have no issue with excess body fat, metabolic disease, they're running around. I mean, they're they're crazy active people. And what, you know, then on the flip side, you have people who may be very attentive to their diet, but they're not moving very much. And I do see a very different, you know, I think exercise is the key to maintaining healthy body weight long-term in conjunction with eating well. If you focus on just the one. So even for the folks who say, well, I'm sorry, thank you for your message, but my first and most important priority is to lose body fat. To them, I still say this, while implementing all your nutritional strategies, build in the habit of exercise because we know that will carry you through the plateaus that come and it will then change your long-term likelihood of success with this. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Here's the thing is it's like, yes, it's a, it's a both and situation. Now the age old debate of aerobic exercise or resistance training. Yes, yes, yes. Indeed. It's not either or it's both once you can get into, (laughs) into it enough that you can build it. It starts with baby steps though. And so I don't want anyone to be immediately frightened by the concept of having to do both, but for optimal health, we know that both are very important. The strongest predictor of longevity, in other words, how long you're going to live on this planet is your aerobic capacity. So you have to maintain it. Mm-hmm. And that's only done through regular cardioaerobic activity of a moderate intensity. What does that look like? That's something that makes you slightly breathless. You don't necessarily want to be having a conversation like you and I are having. That wouldn't be possible. But it shouldn't be so difficult that you cannot, you know, speak to someone and interact with them. So short phrases, that kind of exercise, you know, we have to start telling people that is sort of the base, the foundation of their fitness program. It's also more accessible than anything else. Mm -hmm. So getting your shoes on and getting outside for a vigorous hike 
For most people, simply walking around won't achieve the right level of intensity to build aerobic fitness, right? So you might want to find some stairs or you might want to find a little hill and, and with a friend go up and down it. And then we're starting to get somewhere. We know that going from being sedentary to just doing 90 minutes a week of this kind of activity in that level of will reduce your mortality. So I think above all else, we need to be selling that story. And then once you've gotten into that habit and perhaps you've gotten to that 90 minute mark, uh, I would say push it a little bit more because we know from the Canadian physical activity guidelines that for adults over the age of 18 and under the age of 64, the recommendation is 150 cumulative minutes a week at minimum. So that's like the, the low end for reaping all of the additional benefits in terms of staving off metabolic disease, meta, you know, and all of those things. So we want people thinking about that. The weights become important for preserving bone density and, and muscle mass. And we know that as we get older, that becomes a very important predictor of independent living as, as older adults and our ability to enjoy a high quality of life. And so it becomes very important to add that in. But that being said, sometimes people are intimidated. And so I say, focus on the cardioaerobic bit. If you're climbing hills and stairs, at least you're building some strength in your legs. If you introduce Nordic walking poles, which are generally quite affordable and accessible, you can introduce some movement in your upper body. And then if you want to, and you can add in, because you're in a habit of doing that base, then look at simple programs at home for strength training with minimal equipment. And it is possible to do body weight training and, and see benefits. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And I, twice I, a week I, is, sorry to finish that, but I think the recommendations suggest that two full body workouts at minimum per week. Mm -hmm. and, but I, I, I fear intimidating people with that kind of information yeah. right out of the gate, right? Yeah. So start at yeah. the beginning and layer it in. Yeah. I, I think starting is better than ideal, right? Absolutely. And it's just a matter of, of getting started. I want to just repeat what you said about this concept of getting started, that the benefit of going from sedentary to just 90 minutes of movement a week is reducing mortality risk. Like that is it's profound. Crazy, right? We don't have, no, I looked it up and the, it is crazy. It And to put it in medical terms, I mean, we know how everyone went crazy about aspirin. I looked up aspirin's impact on mortality mm -hmm. for people who had ha who have cardiovascular disease, right? Secondary prevention, right? Of cardiovascular disease. Everyone thought aspirin was the miracle drug. It reduces all-cause mortality by 13%. It does. It's like and that's that's for a subset of the population, mm -hmm. right? And it yeah. doesn't it has risks, not yeah. they don't override the benefit for that those folks. But Here's exercise that promises equal or not slight, if not slightly more impact on your overall mortality. It's got no downside mm -hmm. and it has a lot of other benefits that aspirin yeah. does not have. And it applies to every human, not just a subset of people that we studied who had, you know, a cardiac event. I mean, it just, it's profound. And I think that's, you know, when you say I'm sort of, I really cut to the chase. I'm really, I don't mince words. I think it comes back to that, that thing you said at the beginning, which is we're doing people a disservice as physicians, as health coaches, 
if we're not delivering this messaging, that exercise is so important. It has the ability to change your life. Yeah. If I don't say it enough, I'm not doing my job. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's so many bigger issues to this mm-hmm. that I could go into, but it's like, well, exercise, it can be free, right? You don't have mm-hmm. to pay for it. It doesn't make the pharmaceutical <laughs> industry money. And taking a pill takes two seconds, right? Whereas you want me to do 150 minutes a week of exercise. Like there's, there are real barriers to overcome, but it's because of the value misalignment in our society, mm-hmm. right? Value so misalignment. We come back to this. It's the fact that people don't have quote unquote time, but like anything that you take on in life that you think is very important, whether it's a new job and often it is, you, you, you miraculously find time, don't you? Yeah. yeah. Right. Yeah. But no one's going to pay you for that time that you exercise. Your future self though, is, yeah. is who we're talking about. I don't know how else to say it. People need to just schedule it. And that's an important thing. So here's my other takeaway, you know, the, the fun, if not fun, easy, not, if not easy, inescapable, it's, it's also, you know, to implement a habit on a day-to-day basis, you have to really intentionally put it into your day with more than just all exercise, you know, after work. Yeah. That's sort of the extent of people's planning, you know, and then after work comes and it's like, well, oh, this got in the way that got in the way. Okay. Rather than do that, you take your calendar and at the beginning of every week, you take a look. The best case scenario is you're someone who has some structure, some kind of scaffold to their day onto which you can hang a habit. So the minute, you know, you finish your coffee in the morning, you're going to put your shoes on walk around the block before you turn on your computer and check your email, something of that nature. So that Mm -hmm. the cue of finishing your coffee becomes the trigger for your, your action. If you don't have a structure that you can count on that way, I say, schedule it deliberately, put it in your calendar and you visually see it there. And when something tries to intervene, you have to treat it the way you would any other appointment in your calendar and ask yourself, where else can this go? You can't just eliminate it. You have to put it somewhere else. So you can drag and drop it, I tell people, but you can't just delete it. You have to reconceive of it. It may have to be something else. It may have to happen later in the day, but you're going to immediately say when else it's happening, right? And how else is it happening? So I'm unable to get to this class that's scheduled for now. So at 4 p.m. today, I am going to, you know, take my shoes and, or I'm going to get on my bike and go for a a quick ride around my neighborhood. And before I come home and cook dinner. And if you say it like that, with that much planning and purpose, explicit words, that is going to make it happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's so good. We can't, right. Yeah. It can't be when I feel like it. Right. Cause that, that, and (laughs) I'm glad you actually said those words. People make assumptions about folks who exercise all the time. Right. I'm one of I'm I'm an exercise. People think that I always want to do it. I wake up every morning thrilled to go on a run, <laughs> and I always want to. They couldn't be further from the tr- that couldn't be further from the truth. There are so many days that there is no activation energy there. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, I'm going through menopausal transition. I don't sleep very well. There are many days when I have a billion things on my agenda. And I think to myself, if only I could just get going with my day and avoid this energy requiring step of exercise. But no, because the minute I let that happen once, it'll happen again. And then it'll happen every time I let it. It will become more and more. You have to be less permissive. It's not a choice. It's just a question of when. And so it's it seems like harsh, but it's the only way to get it done. And you're not going to feel like it all the time, even when you get used to it. There are going to be many days when you wish you didn't have to do it, but it's like taking your medicine. I'm taking care of my heart now. I'm taking care of my lungs now. And often all you have to do is get started. Once you get started, it just, you feel better. And you know, people put things on social media and some, most of it I hate, but some I love and some of it that rings so true. No one ever regrets a workout. No one ever regrets time spent in nature, walking, hiking with a friend, doing. You don't regret those things. So you Mm -hmm. have to place yourself an hour into the future when you're thinking in that decisive moment that something else should override your exercise plan. Yeah. 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 It's it's so true. It's so true. You don't feel like it beforehand, but you never regret it afterwards. Never. I think there's so much power in when we start to obey ourselves and we take, you said it, you said, um, you don't give yourself the choice. It's not a, well, I'll set my alarm. And if I feel like it in the morning, when mm-hmm. my alarm goes off, then I will get out of bed. But if mm-hmm. I don't, then I'll just go back to sleep. It's like, that is a plan destined to fail, right? Exactly. Like you set your alarm and it's not a choice in the morning. You don't debate with yourself. And that also, I think it, this applies to so many things, that principle, mm-hmm. but it, we just become people who like, I've already decided. I, I don't have to have the mental debate. So it's less mental energy put Correct. towards exactly. like the should I should exactly. There's no should, shouldn't, when, why, yeah. no, there's no subjectivity to this. It's just a plan and you carry through. And here's the reality too. How often have I done a workout when I'm exhausted and it brings me energy that I never would have had? Let's face it, sleeping time is done. I've got my day ahead of me one way or the other. I can drink all the caffeine in the world to try and keep me awake, which I know is not a good idea. Or I can do this workout and feel probably a greater degree of energy up front and all day long because of it. And again, it comes back to that experience feeds back to, into beliefs. And so when because I've done this enough times in the past, I can say to myself, this is going to make me feel better all day. So I'm going to do it. If you don't have it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy though, for people who say I'm too tired because then they never work out when they're tired and they know nothing else. And if you do try to move when you're tired, I say workout, it sounds too harsh. It could just be some sort of movement that you had planned to do that day. I use the word just to mean any kind of exercise planned, right? Or movement planned. You don't do it when you're tired means you never will do it when you're tired. (laughs) And you will never realize what life is like on the other side, which is, oh, wow, it's possible to work out when I'm tired. It's possible to do this thing when I'm tired. And in fact, you know, sometimes those are the best days. Yeah. 
Yeah, it, you're so right. It's like the reinforcing false belief. And mm-hmm. then we have to like mm-hmm. break that pattern mm-hmm. and see that we were just believing a lie in the first place, right? And that it's not the, the chocolate bar that you need at 3 p.m. And it's not the extra cup of coffee that day. That's just you, what you're used to. Yeah. Your That's body the response you're used to doing. Yes. You almost have to become the opposite of yourself for a little while. Yeah. And uh, it reminds me of something I've been using more and more in my coaching. And I have to bring it up. Is that Scaredy Squirrel book? Have you read that one to your kids? I haven't. No. Oh, look it up. Because Scaredy Squirrel, he's pretty anxious about doing things differently. And he's decided that the universe exists a certain way. And he can only do things this way. Because if he doesn't, bad things will happen. And one day something happens that's not on his agenda. And it happens totally differently. And he comes to a new realization about himself. I love this book for the fact that it, I use this as an example of how you have to experience life differently, Mm -hmm. but you have to, because see, Scaredy Squirrel ended up falling out of a tree and he found out he was a, I'm I'm spoiler alert. He found out he was a (laughs) flying squirrel and he didn't, he never knew that he would never have known because he's never left his tree, but he, he, you don't know your own possibilities until you challenge your existing beliefs and narratives and create a new identity for us ourselves. Those existing identities may seem comfortable. They may seem right. And doing things differently will seem inherently like a bad fit. This isn't who I am. This is not how I approach my life. This is not how I deal with stress, anxiety, fatigue. But I can learn. And I need to learn through experience. I need that experience to happen enough times to me that I can re uh, reconceive of how I respond. Yeah. It's a shifting identity, right? What we believe yes. about ourselves is shifting that identity. So, so powerful. Okay. How do you work with people? Do you work with men and women? And then just share how, how our listeners can get in touch with you. I work with men and women, but my population, my, my clients are largely women and largely in the age demographic of forties, fifties, and even to sixties. So that that's mostly who I coach. They can get a hold of me through my website, which I can share with my listeners, but it's coach McKinnis. Uh, .com or .ca. And I'm also on Instagram and Facebook as well as LinkedIn. So if you search me, you'll find me under Coach McInnes. Awesome. Okay. And we're going to link that all in the show notes. Show notes. So at Coach McInnes on Instagram and Facebook, coachmckinnis.ca on is your website. Any final thoughts that you want to share? This has been a really powerful conversation and I appreciate it so much. I would just say to people, it is possible to reinvent yourself. Don't create barriers to your own, what's possible for yourself, but make it easy, accessible and plan it. Please plan it. Be very deliberate. Those are the, that's in a nutshell, how you get it done. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And don't be afraid to reinvent yourself. You said so many powerful <laughs> I did it. I did it. I was frightened. I reinvented my entire self. I'm not the professional I thought I would be. I'm, I'm competing in sports now as, as a master's that I never, never learned growing up. I didn't know how to do them till I was 40 and now I'm racing. Uh, I think you, you can build a new identity. It is possible. It starts with a mindset though. Yes. 
Yes, absolutely. So powerful. Thank you so much, Tina, for coming on. This has been really, really great. I appreciate you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining me today. If you enjoyed listening to the High on Life podcast, please take a moment to subscribe, share, and review it on Apple Podcasts.